Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy was just added to Game Pass, and it appears that a new way to recoup disappointing sales has emerged. Good morning, good Wednesday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for March 2nd, 2022. The show is in our patrons' feeds bright and early every weekday morning and free on our YouTube channel for everyone else. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed. You found this. Today, Microsoft announced brand new additions to Game Pass for March, and it's a great month of additions. Kentucky Route Zero, Flight Sim on xCloud, and more are being added. But really, the big story and the big game coming to Game Pass this month is Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. If you watched our discussion on Game Face about this game, you know that both Matt and I believe it is one of the very best games of 2021. I feel like we were evangelists for the game. It deserved it. Not only is it a solidly produced game, it manages to nail almost everything about the Guardians of the Galaxy IP. Tongue-in-cheek humor? Check. Witty one-liners? Check. Crazy situations only they could find themselves in? Check. It really nailed the IP. And it's rare for video games based on Marvel IP or any pop culture IP for that matter to do that. Just ask Square Enix itself. It fell flat on its face with Marvel's Avengers. And sadly, so far, at least at retail, Guardians of the Galaxy has kind of fallen on its face. It didn't sell horribly. In fact, it sold pretty darn well. The problem is that Square Enix has unrealistic expectations for the sales of its games. It's done the same thing with Tomb Raider in the past. It did the same thing with Avengers, which it probably deserved it. Avengers was a disappointment, but Guardians of the Galaxy is not. If you watch Game Face, you also know that Matt and I love Game Pass. In fact, I can't think of a single product that's entered the gaming market in the last 10 years that Matt and I have praised more. What you get for the amount you pay is just undeniably great. So, I already love Game Pass. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Game Pass user. I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Game Pass evangelist. Everyone I talk to about video games who isn't like us and doesn't keep abreast of all the latest news in gaming, I tell them when they ask me what they should buy, I tell them to subscribe to Game Pass. It's that good. And it's only going to get better. As Microsoft's first party studios, including Bethesda and Activision Blizzard, start producing games and they appear on the service day and date, it's just undeniable that it's going to become a snowball rolling downhill, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, I already love Game Pass. I don't need a reason to recommend that people subscribe to Game Pass. I don't need another reason to say Game Pass is great, but I've just found one. Because of the low commitment in order to be a subscriber, you can get it for a dollar a month if you're a first-time subscriber. You can get it for $10 a month. You can get Ultimate, I believe, for $15 a month. It's a low barrier of entry. And what you're getting now is a game that just a couple months ago, people were paying $60 for. This is not a first-party game that was published by Microsoft. This is Square Enix saying, hey, we have this great game. It didn't sell as well as we wanted it to. 
can you help us? And Microsoft says, absolutely. I don't blame anyone for passing on Guardians of the Galaxy. It released late in the year, and there are so many other options that you had to choose from. And truth be told, if you're not a big Guardians of the Galaxy fan, I can totally understand where you would have chosen something else or put something else on your Christmas list for your friends and family to pick up for you. I get it. And Guardians of the Galaxy isn't an anomaly. This happens to great games almost every year. It just so happened that this past Q4, unfortunately, this was the game that took the brunt of the video game launch glut. But this new way has emerged to get games over the top that maybe were teetering on the fence. I would imagine that Square Enix, after the sales, the initial sales of Guardians of the Galaxy, probably had resigned itself to the idea that it was not going to make a sequel. Along comes Game Pass, Square Enix and Microsoft work out a deal, and from what I've been told and from what I've heard, these deals are great. You'd be surprised how much publishers get paid to give a game to Microsoft for Game Pass. So while it looks like Guardians of the Galaxy probably broke even, ultimately with its initial retail sales, this extra bump that it's going to get from Game Pass could ultimately guarantee a sequel. And I can't think of another game from 2021 that did marginally well at retail that deserves a sequel more than Guardians of the Galaxy. Some people are saying the reason it didn't do well is because it didn't have Chris Pratt, which I can kind of understand. These IPs are based on other pop culture properties. And what made Guardians of the Galaxy popular? Because before the film, it was a niche Marvel property. Honestly, I had never even heard of it before I heard about the movie being announced. And I thought at the time it was a terrible idea. And then I watched the film and I loved it. Honestly, one of my favorite Marvel films from the last 10 years. But the property has been gone for quite a while. I don't know if the plan was to have this game done a couple years ago. I really don't know. But it would have made a lot more sense then when the movies were still kind of a thing. I haven't really heard anything about the next Guardians of the Galaxy film, so it was released in an odd window. And as I said, it did not include Chris Pratt. And this brand wasn't built on comics like a lot of the other Marvel films have been. It was built on the movie. And who was the lead in the movie? It was Chris Pratt. Star-Lord is Chris Pratt to most people. So I can understand why some people maybe watched a TV commercial for Guardians of the Galaxy or watched a video game trailer or read a preview of it or something like that and looked at the game and said, that doesn't necessarily look like Guardians of the Galaxy. It wouldn't have been that big a deal if they replaced the likeness of one of the supporting actors from the film. That wouldn't have been a deal breaker. But when it is the star of the movie franchise and you decided not to pay the money, or whatever happened so that Pratt didn't end up appearing in the game, who knows. But I would argue that Square Enix, with the right amount of money, could have got him to do it. There are very few people or actors who are going to turn down an irrational payday. And so I do think at least a little bit, Square Enix was guilty of being a little cheap, and it didn't want to pay the money to have Pratt in the game. And now it's leaning on Game Pass, 
to try to save the day. And I am totally okay with that. I don't root for or against any video game publisher, even when they do stupid stuff. They're just a business trying to make as much money as possible. I get it. It's capitalism. So I try not to hold publishers to account for business decisions that they make. Now, cultural decisions, that's an entirely different story. But if a publisher makes a dumb mistake with a video game or just something that I really like doesn't sell very well because they did a horrible job marketing it, I don't blame the publisher. All I really care about are the games and the people who make the games. And Guardians of the Galaxy is a great game, a game that had some slight flaws that could be easily improved with a sequel. And so I do want to see a sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy, and I just want to say thank you to Microsoft for making that a slight possibility. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your sifs. Left 4 Dead clone, Back for Blood, surpassed 10 million players today. A brand new expansion to the game called Tunnels of Terror launches April 12th. Back for Blood is another example of a game that I believe Game Pass saved. It was available on Game Pass day and date on launch day, a third-party deal that Microsoft signed. And I played it, and I thought it was underwhelming. There is no way without Game Pass, the Back for Blood would be sitting at 10 million players right now. It just simply would not. And that's what Game Pass is great for. Games that you, at first blush, would not be willing to pay 60 or $70 for when you're spending 10 to $15 a month to check out an entire library of games, suddenly those games become more attractive. And Back for Blood is an ongoing game. You can get into it and it's going to be there for several years. It's something that you could make sort of your side piece as you play other big games. It's something you can always go back to. So I'm not surprised at the success that Back for Blood has had. However, I do think it does owe a lot to Game Pass. A prelude visual novel for Shinji Mikami's upcoming game, Ghostwire Tokyo, was launched today. There's been a lot of confusion around this game. Since it was announced just recently, we've really got the 411 on what the game is really about, what the plot encapsulates, how the gameplay works. We kind of know everything that's happening with the game at this point. However, this new visual novel hopes to tell the opening of the story with a twist. If you want a fun way to get ready for the next game from the creator of Resident Evil, I can't think of a better way. It's available now on PlayStation and it launches on PC on March 8th. We've discussed the Intellivision Amico a couple times here on Good Morning Gaming. In fact, it was the subject of a leading story in one episode where, where I basically went scorched earth on Amico. I feel like it's a poor product that has been marketed by people who were just looking to cash in. Well, today we found out that the cashing in is over. Today, Intellivision closed Amico funding ahead of schedule and less than a month after it kicked off. Remember, as I said in a prior episode of Good Morning Gaming, Intellivision Amico had run out of money and only had enough cash on hand to operate until about the summer. And so it started what I believe was its third or fourth round of fundraising. I told people to not invest, that it would be a huge mistake, and it sounds like people listened. It only made 
$58,000, just 1% of its target fundraising goal. So what does this mean? Honestly, it means that the company is about to declare bankruptcy. It could have left the fundraising open for another couple months, and maybe something changes, some story is published that's encouraging and gets investors to jump on board. But Amico ended the funding literally on the exact day it was allowed to end the funding. And that says the company is not long for this world. The Amico was originally scheduled for release in October of 2020. It's been delayed three times and right now has no firm release date. Its former spokesperson, Tommy Tallarico had stepped down from the CEO role when this latest round of funding was launched. He has stated over and over that the problem with Amico is that it struggled to find components to have the consoles and controllers built. It had a contract with a Chinese manufacturer, and according to Tallarico, the manufacturer took the money and ran. It's bad. So if you have a pre-order in for Intellivision Amico, I recommend that you go to the retailer and try to get your money back as soon as possible. According to Ampere, the console gaming market grew to $60 billion in 2021. Boxed game sales are declining, however, and the lack of next-gen hardware availability is holding things back even more. But subscription sales are more than making up for it. Boxed game spend dropped below 30% market share for the first time ever. So basically, out of every 10 games sold, only three of them are physical games. While the lack of availability for PS5 and Xbox Series consoles has definitely hurt the numbers for last year, their higher price when compared to previous gen consoles are offsetting the lack of supply. Combined revenues from Xbox Live Gold, Xbox Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, and Nintendo Switch Online are estimated to account for 19% of all spending on games content. It was just 15% the year prior. So huge growth there. Even more shocking, Sony represents 46% of all revenues generated in the console market. It owns almost half the market. Nintendo's share dropped to 29%. That's a 2% drop from the year prior. While Microsoft's rose just 1% to 25%, which is kind of shocking considering how big Game Pass has been and conceivably how many new subscribers Game Pass has added over the last 18 months or so. But it also goes to show you that Microsoft is selling basically zero packaged games. The bottom line is video gaming is Sony's world, and the other two guys are just fighting for the scraps. We'll see if that changes. Kotaku and Gizmodo editors went on strike today. The Gizmodo Media Union is comprised of staff from Kotaku, Gizmodo, Jalopnik, Jezebel, Lifehacker, and The Root. The editors are halting work and asking people not to visit their sites for the duration of the strike. The contract between the group and Geo Media expired last night, and the two sides are at an impasse on a new one after five meetings. A lot of conflict revolves around 
work-from-home policies and how GoMedia is reluctant to write them into the new contract. The union also criticized the company as being unwilling to commit to health care standards for trans employees, sufficient parental leave, or diversity hiring initiatives, as well as low-balling salaries. These companies are going to have to figure it out. People are not returning to work like they think they're going to. They're just not. The companies that accept this and adapt will succeed in the future. The ones that don't are not long for this world. Amazon's game streaming service Luna has finally launched in full to U.S. subscribers. There are new channels available for both retro and Jackbox games, in addition to the previously available Luna Plus, Family, and Ubisoft Plus channels. There's also a channel you can access for free with Amazon Prime with a rotating selection of games. I have no idea why Amazon hasn't worked out a deal where the free games you get with Amazon Prime every month are made available on Luna for free. Maybe that's the ultimate goal and maybe they're headed in that direction, but for today's big launch, it seems like it should have been there already. Streaming service Google Stadia has been an unmitigated disaster. It's basically changed to a B2B model where it's no longer concerned about consumers like you or I. They're really just concerned about selling the technology to TV manufacturers and other electronics companies. GeForce Now has failed to really gather any traction. In all, the streaming market is really struggling to take root. However, Amazon Luna is the one service that Michael Pachter says will be most likely to succeed. So we'll see how it goes. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's Boss Fight, where I tackle random topics that may or may not be related to video games. A cyber attack today saw NVIDIA code and other sensitive information about the company and the people working for it being held for ransom. Found within all the data is some interesting language that points to a new Nintendo Switch model that utilizes NVIDIA's DLSS technology a supposed NVN folder, and an NVNDLSS driver were uncovered in the breach. NVN is an API that NVIDIA designed specifically for Nintendo's devices. This uncovered API is not currently utilized by any of Nintendo's current platforms. So, NVIDIA is working on DLSS technology for Nintendo, and the Switch is not capable of running it. I think you can connect the dots on that one. DLSS, or Deep Learning Super Sampling, is a way to increase a game's resolution or boost its frames per second output without much of a hit to processing. So what does this all mean? First of all, it means that Nintendo's next console is once again going to be underpowered. It sounds as if the hardware is not going to be powerful enough to display games at 4K natively. Once again, Nintendo's next console is going to be drastically underpowered when compared to the competition. It's highly unlikely that robust 3D games are going to be able to run in 4K on this system. It also means that likely Nintendo's next console or hardware is going to be another Switch, meaning it's going to be 
another handheld console hybrid, likely with some kind of a dock that you use to play games on the television. That part I'm okay with. It's hard to argue against the success of Switch. It's been a runaway success for Nintendo. It's made gobs of profit off of Switch. It would honestly be stupid to turn away from that audience. But that doesn't mean that Nintendo can't go back to its old ways of having two platforms available at the same time. I'm sick and tired of squinting while playing Nintendo's games. I'm tired of the empty environments. I'm tired of the blurry textures. I'm tired of the repetitive textures. I'm tired of the smaller worlds. I'm tired of all of it. I am someone who does not play the Switch as a handheld. In fact, if I looked at the literal thousands of hours I've spent playing Switch, I would guess 5% of those hours were spent playing handheld mode. I play my Switch almost exclusively docked. And so this hurts me. I get it. It's a 50-50 split between people who mostly play handheld or mostly play docked. I'm in one half, the kids are in the other half. Why can't we both be happy? In prior generations, when Nintendo was supporting two platforms, one was disparately weaker than the other. You'd have the GameCube, 3D console, and the GBA, 2D handheld. And that pattern repeated over and over again. And... When the 3DS was finally starting to lose steam, I was a proponent for Nintendo unifying its development studios so that they were all creating games for the same platform. That couldn't work in the old days when Nintendo had a powerful console and a weak handheld. You simply could not develop one game for both of them. But all that has changed now. Video games scale. Well, provided that you're creating games in a PC environment, they scale. Any game that Nintendo creates from this day forward should be able to run on any level of hardware, provided the floor is the first Switch. There's no excuse now for developing games that only work on one platform. Games scale. PC games are made to scale with whatever hardware people have in their PCs. Consoles have followed in the footsteps of PC. Even PlayStation finally figured it out and started creating consoles that are basically comprised of off-the-shelf parts. And why? For this very reason. So that every game PlayStation created for PS4 could easily be ported over or even just played natively on PlayStation 5. Xbox has done the same thing. Xbox One, PC environment. All those games from Xbox One easily play on Xbox Series consoles. So Nintendo can do it too. So you create a game and you make sure that it runs on the base model handheld console hybrid switch. And at the same time, you create a dedicated console for people like me who want native 4K graphics. It's not that hard. It could even be a breakout box. It doesn't even have to be a full-fledged console. Look at what 
PlayStation did with PlayStation VR. Nintendo could do the very same thing and charge me more money for it. I am 100% okay with that. If Nintendo, with the next platform, released a handheld console hybrid, just like Switch, but a little bit more powerful, and then, say, charged an extra $200 for a module that would help games run in 4K at a decent frame rate, I would pay it immediately. I am so tired of having to play Nintendo's games that feel like they were made on a console from 2013. The Switch is really just a mobile phone. There are games on my phone, my iPhone 12, that look better than the recent Pokemon games. A lot of them. And I get it. It's a handheld. It's hard to fit powerful hardware in that form factor, which is why... Nintendo needs to finally address people who care about fidelity. We're not kids anymore. And I know that a lot of kids do enjoy Nintendo consoles, and I know that they do like the Switch. All my nieces and nephews have a Switch, and they love it. They take it everywhere they go. When they get together, they play multiplayer together. I love that. I don't want that to go away. But there's no reason that they can't do both. Both Xbox and PlayStation are currently developing games that run on their old platform, and then look amazing on their new platform. Look at Horizon Forbidden West. It looks stunning on both. But when you play it on PlayStation 5, you don't get this feeling that it's just running on better hardware. You can see there's a little bit of work done to maximize PlayStation 5. If Sony and Xbox can do this, so can Nintendo. And I do understand the logistics of manufacturing an extra box and right now it's difficult because it's hard to find parts and I wouldn't even expect Nintendo to release both of them at the same time. If it wants to launch the next Switch and then a year later release the breakout box, I'm okay with that. I can deal with that. I can deal with the crappy graphics of Switch 2 for 12 months while I wait for the breakout box. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not okay with playing goofy looking games on a handheld and then you put it on a TV and it blows it up and it looks awful. All of us are Nintendo fans. Let's be honest. We grew up playing Nintendo. We're adults now. Treat us like adults. Nintendo needs to recognize that a lot of its fans started playing its games in the 80s and at the very least, they're in their 30s or 40s right now. So again, while it's hard to argue with the success that the Switch One has had, there's no denying that there's an opportunity for Nintendo to do even better. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. Do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dimfire. And while you're at it, follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And while you're on the interwebs, head on over to patreon.com slash sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today, because there will never be another.